0: It's
1: sand hello everybody enter laughing as we always do this is your vintage sand crew uh, good evening to Mr. and Mrs. America and all ships at sea welcome to episode five of Vintage Sand, the film history podcast. It says so on our website, by the way. I'll tell you all more about that later, but we actually got our website up, which you can visit and leave comments and be snarky and have a lot of fun. So you should totally do that. Um, We uh, are starting off point for this.
2: And suggestions.
1: Yes, we take suggestions for topics. We've kind of got the next couple of months covered. But I've got, got a perfect name for the Orson Welles one yes. in the, uh, when we do it in November. Yeah. The other side of the windbags. <laughs> Come on. No, perfect. I like it. <laughs> so I wow. was going to say no trespassing.
2: <laughs>
1: so, yeah, that would be us. Your, fi- your windbags here again, as I always say. Just Rosebud. You know, Josh Cabot. John Meyer, Mike Edmund, uh, not presenting ourselves as film experts or professionals in any way, just uh, way too passionate lovers of film. I just spent, I was telling John and Michael, I spent my last weekend at the Jean Vigo series at um, at Film Forum here in New York, which was necessarily short, remember, it's only three short films and uh, one feature, La Delante, which is possibly the most beautiful sound film ever made. I'm not quite sure, but it's close. Uh, and P.S. if you have even heard the name Vigo or are interested in Vigo's work his work is available on one DVD on Criterion and it's a must 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 have. I mean there's a reason they still call the most prestigious uh, filmmaking prize in France the Prix Jean Vigo after someone who died 85 years ago. So we started, a, I think, last episode or a couple of episodes ago by saying that 2018 is kind of sticking out in our minds as a really, really good year for film. Uh, we were saying that last year at this time, you know, aside from Get Out and maybe uh, Dunkirk, that it was not... You guys was, like Get Out a lot more than I do. I think it's gonna. I think it has legs. I think it's do too. Yeah. But um, you know, this year we already have uh, you know films like we have Black Panther, which is you know debatable, but I think for a superhero movie, it's up there. And First Reformed, and Sorry to Bother You, and my beloved Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace, and Black Klansman, and Eighth Grade, Blind Spotting. I love. But did you guys see
3: Annihilation?
1: The Alex Garland film with um, with uh, Natalie Portman, really good. He's the guy who did Ex Machina. Oh, with which, Oscar Isaac, which is and, one of the
3: very few sci sci-fi movies yeah. that I really liked. Check that out. It's I kind. Should, it, know. It's
1: it's beautiful. It's kind of odd, but beautiful. Plus, and Isle know, of Dogs, right? Plus, Plus An Isle of Dogs, and you know the the Mister Rogers documentary, the R B G documentary. R B G. Some people would put Incredibles two in there. Anything else you guys would put in there yet this year? Do you who, okay. who
2: saw the Redford? I have a lot of catching up. I
3: saw the Redford movie yesterday. And. and uh, I hate to say this I, I you guys might jump down my throat but I don't Us? Think, I don't think Redford's made nothing good, but love I don't think Redford's made a really good movie since All the President's Men
0: ah. I looked at his filmography well, that's
2: probably his best movie
3: yeah but I mean I'm talking he about compared to and I'm not talking about directing. I'm talking about things he's it's, acted in. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, Three Days
3: of the Condor, The Candidate. Candidate is amazing. Exactly. Even even the Sting, which at the time I thought was kind of bland. It's I look back very now. It's no, charming. It's a, it's,
0: a, it's a good
2: movie. <sighs> it's, it's very entertaining.
3: But I mean, I was one of the few people who thought uh, All Was Lost, frankly, should have stayed lost. I was so bored by that movie. Um, I kind of the and, the sailing movie. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I thought it was an, a, a daring.
1: Director move. Well,
3: it was, but I mean, it was also you had nothing invested in the character because you didn't know anything about him. It was just like, you know, old man is sinking, and I. I, Yeah, no, that
1: says. I thought of him. I thought of old man in the sea. That's mm -hmm. that's the thing that uh, that sort of solitary squaring off against nature. Um, who did? Chander did this. He Chander did that. Yeah. Like, I kind
3: of like that one. So, yeah, a lot of people, he got the New York Film Critics Award for Best Actor. And, yeah. I but know. nobody came to see it. Which well, at least he, he beat
1: Scorsese it. for Best Director for Reaching Bull. Uh, you got to give him that. One.
3: Yeah, well, no comment.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I guarantee you that Brad Cooper's going to win uh, for, for Star Is Born. Because Have you seen they it no, I'm not going to see it. But I mean it,
3: uh, not, I, I hear it's actually pretty good. I like
1: Gaga. I might I might go. But I, I mean, you know, they love actors who true. turn to, you know, ask Mel
3: Gibson,
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, <laughs> ask as Kevin Costner as so Yeah, But I
3: hear this is good and anything has gotta be better than the Streisand. Christopher, that was truly awful. That was a truly, truly awful. Although I've
1: tried to make it through the Frederick March, uh, Janet Gaynor thirty-seven one. That's a little rough. It's the Garland. It's just ridiculously. It's a
3: little creaky. Although I I keep forgetting that Dorothy Parker was one of the writers. Writers of that. Yeah. So I. uh, But so you
1: know, this has been. There's not a ton uh, I'm looking forward to this
3: year. You guys. I mean, that's not out yet. Oh, I'm looking forward to the. I can never remember the name. The guy who wrote the Lobster, Oh Lobster. Oh, the Lobster. Um,
1: uh, the ah, um, oh, what's his name?
3: Yeah, Lanthimos, which I thought was overrated. And then his last movie, the thing with uh, Nicole Kidman, um, the thing about the kid who was a murderer or something like that that I, I saw at it, SAG. Like, I, I can't remember the name. I don't want to. It was so horrifying. But this. A uh, movie that's—I uh, think it's opening the New York Film Festival. It's supposed to be very good. about I mean, Queen Anne and two. Um, oh, that's right. Of her. Um,
1: well, and the Coens have something opening. Coens, but, um, has, although I've heard yeah, mixed. Yeah, yeah Things
3: yeah. about about that. Oh. And. Um,
1: but mid-level Coens is still better. Right? I'm that's actually better.
3: looking forward to um, First Man.
1: I am too. Yeah. Uh, and I well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna argue out in our next episode, so stay tuned. When we talk about our favorite film openings, we're gonna have a big flippin' argument about La La Land. Oh yes, but we are. Um, you know, Damien Chaz <laughs> Well, maybe not that big an argument, but um big Damien Chazelle, you know, having done Whiplash and then La La Land, you know, I'm—he's uh, a director of interest for me. He's so a I'm very be, I'm talented sure. director. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to go see yeah. it. Yeah, but so two, mm. we digress. We dig. No, that's all right. 2018 is—we uh, live for digression. Um, 2018 has been and may go down as one of the better years of this decade or even this century so far for film, and that's good. So it sort of got us to thinking about, you know, what are the other great years in movie history. And the one that always comes up, of course, is nineteen thirty nine. And I I understand that. I mean, you know, look, just in Hollywood. I'm i look, Gone with the
2: For traditional Hollywood movies, right. I
1: understand. Gone with yeah. the Wind, Wizard of Oz, um, Stagecoach, Wuthering Heights, Goodbye Mr. Chips, Only Angels Have Wings, which never gets mentioned. That is there. A, that's that's probably the best. That's an excellent movie. Mr. I think
3: it's the best of the bunch. Mr.
1: Smith.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's uh, good. good. All right, but
1: if you may, if you go global, which we are doing today, um, and you throw in Rules of the Game, which was nineteen thirty nine, is it
3: thirty nine? Oh, okay. That's why they well, shut it
1: down so fast. I thought it was thirty
2: eight, um, but uh, I no, too.
1: no, he did uh, Le Bet Man in thirty eight. Oh. Another great movie. It's a great rules movie. of the Game. Oh my
0: god. Yeah. That oh, last,
2: oh my god. the last, like, where say, he's addressing the uh, minutes. That last fifteen minutes is devastating. Devastating, and at the same time, I just love that the, the line when uh, one of the gentlemen says, "Like you know, the your class." You know, right?
1: No, and same. and the fact that Renoir could paint such a—I mean, go back to Vigo, you know, who tore <laughs> apart the upper classes in Zero for Conduct. Renoir does the same in Rules of the Game, and yet you love these people, you care about them. There's even yeah. a kind of affection for them, the, even I though.
2: One of the things about Renoir is that. Howard Hawks is sort of the same way too the way that they direct it just always seems so effortless right no, yeah. and you don't, just, n- you don't notice. You get sucked in in that beginning or whatever, and before you know it, the movie's over. It's like, oh wow! <laughs>
0: Plus, <laughs> Renoir
1: kills our theory that all all great directors are are bad people because he was yes. actually a lovely, happy person. Was who? Yeah. Oh, oh my god! You know, yeah, yeah, his father yeah, was the painter. Of, well, I knew that. Surrounded by, grew up surrounded by artists, and you know he, everyone everyone loved him. He was a success right from the beginning. But that's to me is the great achievement of Rules of the Game that he could have had the guts to release. You know, literally two months before oh, the was, war began. Began. It was a scandal
2: when it yeah. came I, I mean, a, yeah. a film
1: that was, st- st- like, the, 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 um, the rabbit shooting scene, yeah, oh, you know, yeah. where they go game hunting, is ju- and just devastating. Like, these are the idiots who are leading us into War Round 2. Right. So, um, so you might, th- rules of the game might put MLB, 1939
2: MLB over MLB the support top. The armistice with Germany. The, the, the agreement with them, or whatever, or the aristocracy. Ah, uh, Vichy. Yeah, yeah. Until Claude Reigns drops <laughs> the
1: That's Vichy right. water in right. gar- yes. the garbage can, <laughs> and the war is and won. Yes,
2: <laughs> 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 Louis, are you pro? <laughs> Go with the wind. refresh French movies.
1: Love it. So, but we, it got us thinking, of course, and that's always a dangerous thing. And the result is this, which is, you know, our, our episode at number five, as I said, which is called My Favorite Year, which is our greatest years in film. Um, and to start with, we got two in the 70s and one earlier. So we're going to break up the 70s ones. And we're gonna start with Mike, and we're going no, to ta- You I do want to start with No, we want to start You want to start with Mike yeah, so we wanna yeah. hear. It. All, right, it. all right, all right. By the way, I was gonna go with nineteen twenty eight, but you would have killed me. What? But but uh for, well, I just had to put in a quick word for 1928. I mean, Go you've ahead. got Passion of Joan of Arc, which is the most beautiful film ever made. Sorry, jean Figo. Um, You've got um, my favorite Keaton film, which is Steamboat Bill Jr., plus The Cameraman, which is even better in some ways. You've got my favorite Harold Lloyd film, which is Speedy, which, um, you know, you've got Docs of New York, The Sternberg, which is amazing. Um, Victor Seastrom's The Wind, which is Lillian Gish's best. I Is, love best. The is wind. that an amazing the movie? The Wind is one. That's no one, yeah. yeah. one of my if
3: you, favorite silent films.
1: If you don't know that movie, guys check it out it's about a woman she plays a prairie uh you know a homemaker in 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 the good old days who kind of when every year when the wind comes up she sort of snaps and it's brilliant lovely but um i ended up on 1960s simply because it was a year where la dolce vita doesn't even make the list that's how good a year it was. I know. I know. Don't worry. Fellini's coming up next episode. I swear. Someone's going to talk about Eight and a Half. But no, for me, no year marked even 28, which is basically the transition from silent to sound. No year marked the transition. Between what was and what was going to be better than 1960, everything changed. Everything was up for grabs. Genre was up for grabs. Structure, yeah, okay. you know. I was watching La Ventura again for this, and just
2: where is everybody? Everybody's way in the back. But I love the way he composes everything. That's and there's something about that movie. I always say, well, nothing happens, but there's something about that movie. The way he he composes the picture frame and places them, and sometimes the dialogue is like. Doesn't really feel like there's anything going on yet. At the same time, there's so much there's going so, on. Everything is going on. The mm-hmm. subtext is so strong yeah. throughout the whole movie.
1: And I have And I'm. I'm going into this by saying I am not an insane Antonioni fan. I mean, I like you know the the, the trilogy he did after La Ventura. I love Blow Up. I even kind of like Zabriskie Point. Um, really? To some, yeah, just just to capture sort of capture. I haven't seen. it was a Doris. I was a Doris fan, so time. you know. This,
3: <laughs> it's, it's And the passenger, I think, is the cure for insomnia.
1: I love that last shot though, the long pull out. Oh, it's remember, gorgeous, yeah. stunning. Uh, but, yeah, the composition, John, you're absolutely right. So, uh, it, but in terms of American film, we could talk about just Psycho in the Apartment, yeah. and we'd have, but we've already talked sure. so much about Hitchcock and Wilder, I'm going to go outside of America for my three films. We're not even talking, I didn't choose La Dolce Vita because I felt it was more of a, a personal breakthrough for Fellini. Um, which led to eight yes, and a half, which is that's, still my favorite that's a good point okay film of his, but it's extraordinary. um last year at Marion vod, which I've complained in these in this podcast about five times already that it's a film that I absolutely don't understand I, but
2: I, yeah I, I, I definitely I agree with you. it's like because I saw it a very long time ago, and I'm the same way that you are about that movie. It's like I know there's something there's going something on, there going though there, I saw it like
3: about it, ten years ago at Film Forum, and, and I'm still like but I don't what quite the hell, hell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I mean you want I mean that is that does for film what uh, what Picasso it's beautiful and, looking oh it's beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> But it does fulfill what Picasso and Braque did for painting with Cubism. I mean, it just there's plot there, there's beginnings and middles and ends. They're just kind of all happening at once, all over the place, and we never quite know. I mean, it's, it's incredibly daring, especially since Rene was not one of the French New Wave crowd. And I, I, I do love. I'm gonna keep watching it till I figure it out. Um, remember then you, that?
3: Then you tell me. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll pass it on. Anyone, just email us, and we'll let you know what it's, it's about secret. once we figured it out. Um, Black Orpheus was that year, which although made by a French director, you know, basically woke the world up to the fact that there's film going on in South America. Hello. Um, You know, and also a lot of good Second-tier works by great directors. We have to mention this because uh, Charles Aznavour died today. Yes. Um, uh, Shoot the Piano Player was 1960, Truffaut's second. Uh, the Bad Sleep Well, which is a really good Kurosawa film, not as epic as some of the others. Um, Virgin Spring, you know, which is a really good bird, but not top drawer. And uh, I think we got to throw Spartacus in there, even though it's not a Kubrick film. As such, because he wasn't involved in the whole thing, it's um, it's I think it's
2: better than any of those. Uh, of those sword and sandal epics, movies. yeah. But was it Anthony Mann that was yeah. the yeah. original director? Yeah, Douglas yeah. I fired forget him. what happened. I think he, he got, got sick, or I thought
1: Douglas just maybe wasn't Douglas happy. just fired him. yeah. yeah. yeah
2: I don't know. I, I was, I was you know, curious. and said
1: to Kubrick, "You owe me." So you know, come direct this big monstrous epic. Um, but my three, uh, uh, one Italian, one French, one British, are uh, three very different directors. I have one director who's taking a huge leap uh, after what was only slightly hinted at, and that's Antonioni with La Aventura. I, ha- I am not as familiar as I should be with his films from the 50s, like uh, Cronica del Amore and uh, Il Grido, but you know the the yeah, no, yeah who is exactly but apparently he was sort of edging in that direction. Um, I've got one director who just literally exploded on the scene. I mean, Francois Truffaut said that there was film before Breathless and there was film after Breathless. And you know whether you think that's a good thing or not, I completely agree with that. And then you have the legendary filmmaker who committed absolute career suicide, never worked in his home country again, and that of course is Michael Powell with Peeping Tom. I mean, he literally got run out of the country on a rail because of Peeping Tom. And you guys just saw it, so. Yesterday. Yeah, we, yeah, we, gotta, we yeah. gotta talk about it. So Which one do you wanna talk about? Exactly. I'm gonna do La Ventura first. first, okay. um, which um, as I think is to film what Camus or Beckett is to literature. I mean the, the 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 poetry of alienation. I mean, just complete isolation, yeah. Yeah. right? The landscapes, those incredible. And but you know what I notice this time is that it's not. I always I thought most of the film from my memory took place in the island, and it doesn't. There's no, a, it right? doesn't. No, right? No. There's a whole lot that happens after no, the no. island, no, no, no. and everybody's sexy and everybody's beautiful, and it doesn't. Really, ma- it's a complete abstraction. And it's interesting because Antonioni, like... It's an-
2: deceptively simple. Right. Right. Like, you, you look at it like a moment you think like, oh it's this really simple right. you, you can describe it in one sentence exactly yeah, and then, yeah, then girl keep, disappears and they don't you, find her they move on yeah, yeah. because it's and it sets up that tradition sort of a traditional mystery search movie or whatever and then it says aha it's not what it's about right yeah. no <laughs> doesn't matter but what's really
1: interesting looking at this time Anna you know who's the, the girl who goes missing ultimately is was never really didn't feel like she was there to begin with no one's there I mean mm-hmm. someone actually says that people are island. A petite one of the side characters on the yacht says, people are islands surrounded by water. And that's, that's what this film is about. And it's a pretty, da- it's, it's something that's hardly an original thought, but the way, as John says, that Antonioni showed it with the framing and these characters, you know, and, yeah. and, and also the soundscape. The music is interesting, but I liked even better the, the soundscape of, you know, just the wind whistling and yeah. the ocean crashing. Yes. It's just like, yeah. wow, we
2: are alone in this universe. Yeah. And all these people—they're that they're trying to connect, but they're not quite connecting. They're kind of missing each other. It's—although I am it's, reminded of
1: the great Tom Lehrer's quote that if you feel you can't communicate with other people, the least you could do is shut up. But we—but <laughs> 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 we, but we can't. It, it's, it's a good—it's a good one. Oh yeah. God mm-hmm. bless you, Tom Lehrer, wherever you are, still alive at ninety something. Um, and you know, it's it, it's it's not just that nothing happens. It stuff does oh, happen. Well, oh yeah. But it's and, and and it it's it just feels as though we're we we're looking at something really new. And no wonder they booted the hell off the stage at Cannes. I mean it got a horrible reaction. Some people yeah. appreciate it, but it was yeah. you know, why am I sitting through two and a half hours of nothing really happening? But you There's know, a lot.
2: There's actually a lot that happens. Right.
1: I mean, in terms of events, but much more so in terms of emotions or emotions yeah. that are suppressed. And film had never quite found a way I don't know if it was trying of expressing that visually. And that's what Antonioni succeeds well,
2: in. Well, I think also people were really put off by the fact because they feel that like he, he betrays the person who's supposed to go and. Yeah, because
1: we never find her. I believe I read somewhere that Antonioni did film a scene where yes, Ana's wa- body I've, washes up. I've,
2: I've read that too. Yeah they recover the body and then they decided not to use that scene and I think if they did it would have completely ruined them oh it would have been a different movie entirely
1: I mean and you know I just can't help thinking in, you know we're recording this at the beginning of October in 2018 you know we're all uh, we're all Claudia and Sanjo we're all you know we've we, we, we observe tragedy we stay around for a little while and poke poke around and then eventually we give up and move on I mean that's the story of 2018 I mean how many school shootings or, or other awful things happen and we just you know we just sail on on the yacht. Best we can. I mean, it's a survival strategy, but, you know, in terms of alienation from each other, as John was talking about, and from ourselves, which I also think that's part of the subject here. And, you know, plus two words, man Monica Vitti, okay? So, oh, she's uh, great. right. Uh, I mean I love her in the other in Red Desert Eclipse and La Norte but yeah. um, I really love her in this
3: what about Modesty Blaze
1: I did not <laughs> see you know here I am on the lofty heights of film and you've got to like drag me down to the bottom
3: of the cliff directed by Joseph Losey.
1: I understand but that's not always a good thing well we should do something it, it was actually it
3: was actually on uh, TV the other day and I was watching it remembering about you know Love, and love and Tour. Uh
1: yeah so I mean th- it's a, not a good movie a film that can <laughs> completely shifted the rules of what you can and can't do as a filmmaker in terms of what you show and how you express this alienation, um, which is, the, you know, sort of the fundamental condition of modern man, a la Beckett and
2: Camus. Uh, so I have a question. What do you think at, at the end? Because she sees... I forget his, his name. Um, Gabriel Friseu Sandro? Yeah. yeah. Um, when she she catches him, like, with another woman. Yeah, on the couch. On, the, on yeah. the couch, whatever. And then they he he breaks down and starts crying. Um, Is it possible we found real emotion? Yeah. You know, I don't yeah, know. And, they, and she comforts him. So, I mean, do they finally really connect and start a relationship? Or do they part ways and end up being... It's funny. I, 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 I What I always think... I always kind of like, what happens to them? Well, I think you're supposed to.
1: Yeah. But the only real communication that seems to happen is the bells. Remember when they accidentally yes. ring the church I bells? I love that. I love that And then that moment. the other church starts ringing that. their bells. Yeah, and, uh, I love that moment. It's, a, yeah. it's an odd, lovely moment in an in extremely ambitious Daring film. I mean, you know, how if if it got made now, it would not be well received. I can only imagine, you know, what it was like back in 1960. Alright, so that leads me on to film number two, which is Breathless. And, you know, on the Godard Truffaut thing, I always come down on the Godard side, especially if we're talking about Godard, say 1960 to 1967, from Breathless through Weekend. I can give give or take the political stuff, I recognize the brilliance of what came after, but that seven years was just an incredible run. And to me, if I'm comparing these films to other works of art, um, Breathless is like Follies, like Stephen Sondheim's Follies, which does the incredible trick of paying loving, loving tribute to everything that came before, while at the same time completely destroying, destroying it, it utterly. Now. Utterly. I mean, remember the film's directed, uh, dedicated to Monogram Pictures, and he uses all those old, you know, the old devices like irises and things like that. Mm-hmm. So clearly, he loves the old film, and clearly, he is absolutely bound and determined to blow it up to smithereens.
2: I must confess, I do not like breakfast. Go, 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 go. Why, why, why? Um, some of it feels amateurish to me. I know that I know that it was done on a low budget, so they were restrained in some ways. I feel sometimes the use of the camera takes me out of the movie. Um, I do not like the use of the music. It feels disjointed from the whole movie the whole time. It's even though it's ex- even though a lot of it's excellent jazz music, and I just don't think it's that well acted.
1: I, well, I mean. Come on! Is there anything sexier in movies than Gene Seberg?
2: You oh, know, she was beautiful. <laughs>
1: New York Herald Tribune. <laughs> Hello. I mean, and what, what a rescue of that! And premiere.
2: also, I I just don't care about Jean Paul Belmondo, but that is that is a personal thing. And then a movie, what? I'm like, I don't care that you just died. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm in
3: between. <laughs> I'm in between you two. I like it more than you. I don't like it as much. I would I say think, it's my I favorite.
2: That's important. I think I, it's my, my favorite Godard. I do understand why it's important and everything. I just.
1: No, and I think, well, the two obvious things are, you know, the the, the, the accidental invention of the jump cut, which, you know, Mm -hmm. is a well-told story that it wasn't Godard's idea, you know, he had to get it down to a certain running time and didn't want to cut any scenes. So his editor said, well, let's cut out the boring stuff. So you jump and you jump and you jump. And again, that managed to accidentally kind of reflect. And that was actually very smart. Right. Very smart. Well, it's always the editors. The editors are our unspoken heroes. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? Yeah.
3: But I, I like the use of the music in it. I, I watched it on mm-hmm. YouTube. I haven't seen it in decades, and I watched it for this broadcast, and I thought, I do like the use of the music in it. And it, even though you could say it's amateurish, I think it works for the story. And I, and, um,
2: I have to say... Well, I, the when kind I, of this sort of like low-grade criminal who's... Yeah, I think... He's sort of narcissistic. He well, he's bogey. he's when it was you know, over, always... very, very highly of himself. But when it effort. was
3: over, I thought, would there be a, would there have been a Bonnie and Clyde without Breathless?
1: No. Absolutely not. That's a good point. No, and in fact, they, and that's where I was going to go to transition because, you know, no, no, that's fine, no, it's fine. Because, you know, when the French New Wave sort of petered out around 68 and Godard and Truffaut had their split and everything kind of fell apart with the the student riots and everything, you know, that, it didn't die. It got picked up in America. It came back to America and in the two years that you guys are going to be talking about. So there's a real connection here. Um, Also, you know, it's, it's, A real postmodern film. It's the first postmodern film. It's a film like all of Godard's films that is about film. And I so, guess you could probably say that Tarantino is the only Godard we deserve, you know, because Tarantino's pop culture references are breakfast cereals, you know. <laughs> well, how about that box of fruit brood in uh, in Pulp Fiction that Eric Stoltz is eating? Come on. And um, I love that scene, though. Oh yeah, God, I, I do you. too. And and I'm hanging rolling. up on this asshole. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. love that. Get it? Um, <laughs> I love. Well, that whole movie. Did you guys, by the way, see the mashup with? Um, the scene from Pulp Fiction where they're interrogating the three guys and uh, the Kavanaugh hearing? <laughs> it's a wonderful it coincidence on your... It's on YouTube that his name is Brett. So it, so you see Cav- Kavanaugh saying, I didn't do it, and Samuel Jackson turns around and says, yes, you did, Brett. Oh, yes, I you did. <laughs> He says, I like beer. And then Samuel Jackson says, mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash it down? Like, whoever. We love the editors. Whoever you are who did that out there, God bless you. You're a genius. That sounds great. Um, so, yeah. But and there's, there's no Tarantino without, uh, without no, Godard oh, either. True. And that may be a good thing or a bad thing. But at least, you know, it comes across as being a little smug maybe. But the references in Godard are not to breakfast cereal or to yeah. cartoons. No, no. It's Faulkner, it's Picasso, it's Mozart, it's Velazquez, yeah. it's Rilke, it's Dylan Thomas. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I appreciate the aim. I appreciate the ambition. Um, there's all those there's, there's little references in the film to politics, like Eisenhower's visit, oh, which yeah. becomes a oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. And like then that. and that becomes something that you get to 66, 67, to Made in USA and La Chinoise and then into Weekend. You know, really becomes a huge thing in Godard, and then he becomes a malist and goes off the edge of the the earth. Right. But um, I I love the rhythm of that film. I have to say, when I've taught it, it's it's one of my students' favorite films. They really, really kind of oh they,
2: no, it's it, it's well liked. Yes, as that I know. A uh-huh. lot of a lot of younger audiences really, for whatever reason, really like the movie a lot. Uh-huh. I just like the it's way it's kind it, of interesting how how people who are much younger than us react to certain older movies. Yeah, I. I can never figure it out. No, because, believe it
3: or not, I, I have younger friends who think uh, *The Godfather's slow. I know, I know.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, no, I totally, I totally get
1: that. I don't. Um, well, you and I have it, and yet, in Yiddish, it's called Zitzfleisch, the ability to sit for a while and watch something and just right. enjoy it and not That's move. Right.
2: So um, well, We will talk more about The Godfather later. Yes,
1: we will. Coming up. So stick around. Um, and, you know, and of course Goddard's famous quote about, you know, every story should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but not necessarily in that, <laughs> that order. order. Yeah. Um, which is lovely and has been appropriated by everybody. That's the whole thing. Say what you want about the about Goddard himself. He's an arrogant ass. He's a uh, Full of himself, he is there's all kinds of problems with him as a person, but as a filmmaker, everything that was so revolutionary and breathless is now showing up on NCIS and, and every T V show from jump cuts to uh, yeah. yeah. I mean so it's become the language of film. Um, and I, I I I just love it. And to me it still holds as I can. I wish I'd gotten to see it in nineteen sixty. You know when it would have just like blown us out of the water. Yeah. Speaking of which, I go to my last film, which you know was which was just. I, I was looking for an artistic work to compare this to, um, Peeping Tom, and all I could think of was Bosch. I mean, what people hmm. must have made of that, <coughs> you know, because Bosch. That's mm-hmm. interesting. right because you know everyone else is painting saints and Madonnas and Bible scenes, and there's Bosch with this like holy. Mother of God, what's going on here? This sick, twisted, dark... What, Bosch is what? You're the art guy. You're 15, 14, mid-1400s? Mm, I forget Maybe exactly. a little later. Whatever.
2: Northern... Yeah. I guess considered Northern Renaissance. I, I mean, I wouldn't even put him in Northern Renaissance. He, he, He's completely he off by himself. He is a movement by himself. Right. I think he was eating hallucinogenic mushrooms or um, something. It had to be. I don't know where that all came from. I...
1: You know, and there is, there is darkness in La Ventura. There's some darkness in Breathless, although it's kind of superficial and snarky. Lord knows there's darkness in, uh, in Psycho, and even in The Apartment, oh, yeah. spiritually, yeah. But
2: and not, Vita. Yeah, and those, oh my
1: God, yeah. But nothing like this. I mean, it's just, it's a complete, it gets more disturbing every time I watch it.
3: If I can give it the ultimate compliment, I watched it uh, yesterday on Amazon, I wish I'd seen it first in a theater. Yeah.
2: I really, really do. yes. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the thing I was really struck by when I, in the beginning of the movie, and it pretty much stays that way throughout almost the whole movie, is the, the look of the movie looks like a color studio film from say 1940.
1: Yeah. It very expressionistic. Very. Yes. the opening very, with the very, very cheap so. sets, very, I mean,
2: very 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 I mean, I love the way the movie looked. Yeah, really. and the and, use and, and, of and red. It's not until towards the very end when I have a couple of those outside shots when he's at the library and suddenly it looks like and the cops following him. Yeah. Suddenly it looks like 1960, mm-hmm. current, the you know, the current day Swing the Soho, the yeah. Right. And it, it looks real or whatever. The rest of the movie is, like, expressionistic is a good a good term. Around. I
1: mean, and, you know, in... in, in it's an artificial look, the use
2: of the color, everything about it.
1: It is very... I mean, it, it's it's an expressionistic film in that it gets us inside his head. We're seeing, you know, what goes on in his mind played out in, in what to him is real life, which only exists when he's behind a camera. Right. I mean, so it takes the brilliance of Rear Window and the idea that we're all voyeurs And takes it one step further, and is very self-condemning for directors. There's one point where the Anna Massey's mother, Helen's mother, who's blind, Mm -hmm. says all this filming is very dangerous. Yeah, she was great. Wasn't she great? Wasn't that great scene? I've never seen her before. In fact,
2: fact, she was the one character. Movie is like, oh wait a minute, can we can we stay with her? I I I want to know more about uh, her. I want to sit down and talk with her for a while. No, (laughs) and she and
1: she's and all this film, and you know, he and of course. In the one time we get to see Mark's father, who's the villain of the piece. Mark is the serial killer, Mm -hmm. but the villain of the piece is his father, the right played played by by Michael Michael Powell. Powell. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. and that's, boy, if that's not a a self-condemnation, I don't know what is. Uh, um, But, you know, I mean, there had been, in the Powell press... And, and And the
2: psychiatrist is very flip. With him. Oh yes. Oh, like yeah. you have
1: his eyes. <laughs> yes. Or oh we
2: can have a set three sessions a week, you know, this yeah. will be lovely. Yeah. Like it will be fine and what I think he said was two years or yeah. two <laughs> years or It's like
1: and then we lower the thing back down, it's like no, thank I you. I just
2: find it hard
3: to believe that this is the same man who directed I Know Where I'm Well Going. that's what I'm saying. I mean okay. <laughs> Which is one of the most sweetest, beautiful movies I've ever seen. And there's 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 <laughs> the darkness and obsession
1: at the end of Red Shoes, you know, where the mm-hmm. obsession for perfection literally drives her to her death. There there's, you know, the obsession of black narcissists is yeah. sort of an and the, interestingly sister who... misplaced sexuality, but yes. but nothing, nothing like this. And no wonder people were horrified. The reviewers said you should actually, one of the reviewers said it should be flushed down the toilet.
3: Now, why were the reviews for that so damning and in the same year, Psycho, which I think is a, frankly a far scarier movie.
2: Oh yeah, oh, yes. Well, as far it's as being it, scary, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, because Psycho could happen to us. Not likely that. I mean, Peeping Tom's a much more, much more sort of a generalized philosophical. But film I remember about when watching. it
3: was re-released in the mid seventies, and there were pickets. Uh, there were people were picketing, and I thought, well, maybe I just shouldn't, you know. Go well, to yeah, I, I, mean, I avoided it because I heard it was a very scary, bloody. It's really not that. It's scary. not. It it's wasn't. Not you
2: don't, we don't see any blood at it's all. Creepy. It's not creepy. Although a lot of younger audiences don't think Psycho is that scary. They uh, they agree that it's creepy. Well, creepy. I think it's. I think the first time you see Psycho, it's intensely scary. Yeah. And
1: but in Psycho, you have the distancing of the black and white too. Yes,
2: and Hitchcock purposely chose to do that because he didn't want it to be gory. Yeah, I, 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 this
3: is
1: and
2: actually, and this and peeping Tom really isn't gory. No, like, it, isn't. it No, there's no. Can you imagine no if visceral... Tarantino made that movie today? Yeah. Oh God. That's right. No, but the, but the fact is <laughs> that if you're of bl- buckets of blood. <laughs>
1: you know, there have been tons of ink spilled by critics, both male and female, about the idea of the penetrative male gaze mm-hmm. and how how what a violation it is. You know, which is a huge theme in Psycho. I mean, remember, I always think of the fact that in Psycho, right before the shower scene, he's peeping through the. Oh yeah, the you know he's the hole he's drilled yeah, he moves, behind the yeah, he moves a little, and the which
2: p- and the painting is the rape of the saving women.
1: Oh, I thought it was Suzanne and the Elders. It's but it's one of those so, things yeah. where men are driven to extreme action by their desire for a female. Yes, so we have to look that up. I'm not, sure, but it's one of those. Yeah, it's a classical um, or a biblical theme, and the film just came out of nowhere. It played for a week. They pulled it. And, well, no, I just, yeah, and, well, I think because both Powell and Carl Bohm, who plays Mark, you know, made this character so sympathetic, it almost would have been easier to swallow if he'd just been a garden-variety
2: serial killer. Yeah, but but Anthony Perkins in Psycho, is that I character, is, yep. is somewhat sympathetic, Sure. Too. Especially, especially in the first, through most of the movie, you don't really learn it's him until the end or whatever, yeah. he's, where he's talking about his mother and everything, and... Uh, I mean, he's a very sympathetic character. For so some. I, I, I just, I, Maybe I just it's because Carl Boehm sounds like Nancy. Peter Lorre. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Yes, he no, sounds like he sounds like Peter Lorre. No, and John, that's a
1: really brilliant connection because you feel horribly sorry for his murderer in M when he's yeah. when the kangaroo right. court and he's being put on trial, even though you've seen this guy commit atrocities that yeah. are unthinkable. So yeah, I well, mean, it. It's, I'm
3: very perplexed by the, the reaction. I mean. Definitely by the 70s, by the time I was an adult going to movies, I, I would have, I wish to God I had gone to see it because, um, once it, again, I wish I had seen it out of theater. I guess Film Forum had it a few years ago, It they? is.
1: If you If you've never seen it, audience, it is definitely one to track down. There's a Criterion version available that is beautiful and nicely restored with some interesting but, you know, extras.
2: Remember, you know, La Dolce Vita, when it first came out, that was... Pretty much condemned too because of the beginning and a lot of yeah, but that was well movies. liked
3: though it got several oh, I know. Oscar nominations. Oh, True.
2: This right. is, this That's is true. true. Yeah. Yeah. You what? Won- yeah, with Peeping Tom,
1: it's like- no, oh my son. And and, and the, you know, I was talking about how La Ventura is so is sixty years ahead of its time. We live in a time now, and I know this because I work with high school kids every day. That for our kids, something doesn't happen unless it's filmed. Unless it's filmed, it didn't happen. We are we are living in a time where every single minute is filmed, and, and we are constantly we are voyeurs in our own lives and other people's lives. And somehow Powell saw that coming, and you know paid a heavy artistic price for it. But my God, I think, God, that, I what think a that's movie. a tragedy. Yeah, I, I completely yeah. agree. And, you know, so. fortunately, thanks to Scorsese and other people, the film's reputation and Powell's reputation in general was
3: uh, was restored. Well, thank you for picking that because it forced me it to forced watch it. you to watch it, it. <laughs> yes. And I'm yeah. very happy. It's good for you. And I'm very, it was very, very, I was... Pleasantly surprised because I, I was ready to pick it with the uh, picketers, <laughs> and I thought, no, this is this is no, really a marvelous work of art.
1: And so that's 1960. All of this in one year, and as I yeah. said, we didn't even you know *Marion Bad* and *Dolce I Vita* mean, didn't even I make the, the, the list.
2: The creepiest part of the movie is the very ending, and you hear. It the tapes of his father. No, oh, wow. And, and then, when he's playing then, it at five years. And then, at seven years. Yeah, yeah the but, different screens. But then after he has he's killed he's himself, himself, and then you hear the father, and then you hear his voice Ugh. as a child, as you know, the Not a very black. happy view of psychology as a profession, <laughs> no. by the way.
1: But yeah. so and to, well, to obviously the father school loose too. Yeah. but he was very well respected in the field they mentioned that several times when he meets the psychiatrist on the set he's like oh your father great man great brilliant man um so that's 1960 and you know i I thought i'd transition by you know the i mentioned weekend which is sort of the end of that great period of godard in 67 and the end of the film very famously the two title cards says end of film and then the end of cinema and you know (laughs) with his usual modesty but in some ways at least in europe it kind of was for you know for for a lot of directors but with the explosion of the studio system in Hollywood in 68-69 and you know the rubble that's left and they say hey let's let the kids come in and direct and what you get is that amazing period from about 69 to 75-76 or so where the directors ran the show and I don't think it's a coincidence that both John and Michael's years fall within that period so Michael I'm gonna hand it over to you. Oh wow
3: okay well um, yeah 1960 a good year Uh, I had a few honorable mentions from my favorite year that wasn't 1972. One was 1959, which I thought was an excellent year.
1: Anatomy of a Murder. I know you're going there.
3: Some like it hot. Wild Strawberries was released in this country that year. Okay. Um,
2: is, is the Wild Shores came out. It really I, know, I mean, it was fifty-eight, 58. 50, but it, yeah. it was. Yeah. But you could I say know, it was it really I know, I know. fifty-nine. It was. It gets really confusing with, the with dates, Some yeah. of the European yeah. films sometimes they have a short release in Europe, mm-hmm. and then like a year later it's, it opens here, or sometimes it opens here for a couple of weeks. Exactly, and, and then it, well, and which I, really will, which a I will get to. You a year. with classic really confusing. But, really um, but um
3: what um uh four hundred blows. Yeah that blows. was I mean
1: revolutionary and, and North by Northwest, North I know. North I know. North. No 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 uh, listen, I, I'm 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 not sorry Josh, North by Northwest is a great movie. Oh, <laughs> <all>, no, it is <laughs> guys, all I ever said was I don't Go think sit it's in the back. I don't think it's as great as Vertigo. That's all I said. No. I recognize oh, no. oh,
0: it's a good No, no, but,
3: no, no, no. But you know. I also happen to really be fond of nineteen sixty two. I That is think a good year. That was a very, very Jews good year. And Jim? Jules of Jim, which I'm not... Jules I'm with crazy. But I'm, but we, hey, we agree on something,
1: yeah. 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 But
3: I mean, um, a Mockingbird, Lawrence of yes. Arabia, um, Birdman mm. of Alcatraz, Days of Wine and Roses, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Long Day's Journey tonight Night, yeah. The Miracle Worker, mm. um, Lolita, uh, Sundays in Sabelle, uh, Divorce Italian Style, All, all from 1962. And I happen to love 64, which was a close... Second.
1: Strange Love?
3: Uh, strange Love, number one. Hard Day's uh, Night. Hard Day's Night, My Fair Lady. Uh, Beckett, uh, Seance on a Wood Afternoon, Seven mm. Days in May. Uh, the Servant. Um, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. <laughs> By okay. the way, am it's I the only movie. one who can't wait for the sequel? Yes. I'm really... <laughs> you no, are I th- literally the only one who I can't think, wait for I the I think sequel. I'm going to like the <laughs> sequel. I'm, I saw the sequel. P- trailer and anyway. But my number one year is (laughs) 1972. That was the first year I was really an adult and I could go see anything I wanted to and I saw everything. And I did some research and there were 27 films that came out that year, which I'm not going to list. (laughs) (laughs)
0: we're we're not we're not holding any
3: weapons yeah we'll put it up no we'll put seriously we'll put it up on the website there you go John but there were 27 films made by either up and coming directors or veteran directors ending their careers that were very very notable films yeah and I, I'm just going to mention a few of the directors: John Huston, Fat that,
1: City. Yes, I yes, love that movie. Fat
3: City and The Life and Time of Judge Roy Bean came out that year. That was too. that year too. Uh, Martin Ritt had two wonderful films that year: Sounder.
1: Oh, beautiful! And
3: the comedy Pete and Tilly, which I don't Walter think I Mathau, ever seen. Oh, see it. I think you can oh, see it, it on YouTube. It's it's, it's it's. I think it's one of Walter Matthau's best performances. Walter Mathau. He's really really good and very low key. But it's a, it's a comedy drama. Geraldine uh, Page is quite good in it. And Carol Burnett, it's like her first big film. Hmm. And she plays it very straight. It, it's, it's worth watching. Elaine May had what New many Leaf? critics think. No, that was the year before. That was 71. It's the heartbreak kid. That's yes, movie. the it's original, good, yeah, the which The original, is if anybody has had the misfortune of seeing the Ben Stiller remake, see the original Elaine May Heartbreak Kid. It's
1: was... a better sequel than The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, the worst movie of the decade.
3: Alfred Hitchcock uh, made Frenzy, yeah, which we've talked go. about on previous broadcasts. Anna Massey and appears again. Anna Massey, yes, and it's agreed by most Hitchcock fans and critics that it was the best of his last four films. Sure. And Joseph L. Mankiewicz ended his film career. Sleuth. His swan Sleuth. song was Sleuth. Sleuth. Yeah,
0: a it's not.
3: A fun movie. It's a fun movie uh, and not an easy play to film. And, and, no, be and able very to, well done. And it was very, very well yeah. done. So, this, as I said, there's 27 that I have. We, we'll, we'll put it on the website, but I'm gonna pick what I think is the top three. We don't pay
1: by the inch, so it's <laughs> <fine>.
3: <laughs> What I'm gonna <laughs> pick, the top three films my third film, and I did it in order of good my love build up. My third film is Ingmar Bergman's *Cries and Whispers*. Now, I will start by saying I don't think this is the best Bergman film ever made, and I definitely think that if you've never seen a Bergman film, do not start with this one. No sound, no, sound I, yeah. advice. Because no. I took um, uh, several college friends in '73 when it was out, uh, dragged them to it, and a few of them are still speaking to me. <laughs> Um, and I, I had to drag them to another uh, Bergman film that came out uh, that was uh, revived, Wild Strawberries. And then they go, oh, okay. Oh, that's okay. That you should have taken okay. them to Tree of the Wooden Clogs. They would have loved you forever. Oh, I don't love that movie. No one does. <laughs> but um, I want to give a little bit of history, uh, unusual history about Christ and Whispers. Um, Bergman was having a difficult time getting it distributed here. Because his last two films were financial and artistic disappointments. The right and his first English language movie, The Touch. 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 Yeah. Which, Neither of which I've seen. Which yeah. actually I've just recently saw The Touch again, and I think it should be reevaluated. I think it's actually pretty good. So Roger Corman bought up the rights for eighty thousand dollars. Bless him. Wow. Yeah. And put it at one theater. Um at the end of December, uh, the cinema one, that's where I saw it. And it just exploded. It took off. It won four New York Film Critics Awards, picture actress, Lee Volman, director and screenplay, only the second film to win that many uh critic film critics awards in those four. <laughs> and it became financially up until that point the most successful uh Bergman movie. Uh because it hadn't uh been booked in a Los Angeles theater. It wasn't eligible for Academy Awards that year. The following year, 1973 and 74, it got five Oscar nominations, including Best Picture of the Year, only the fourth foreign language film ever to be nominated in that category, and it won for her cinematography. The story is very simple. It takes place at a turn of the century a Swedish manor, Three Sisters and a Maid. One sister is dying of cancer of the uterus. Two sisters are attending to her, as well as the maid, and it's about, frankly, the love, hate, and um, need of these of these four women. And I, I, from what I understand, a lot. It is, I think, one of the most beautiful films ever shot. Oh, it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's
3: really. I understand Cries and Whispers is taught in a lot of film schools just on its own photography alone. That's Nyquist, right? Nyquist, yes, and he he did win, it was the first foreign language film to win a technical Oscar, I believe. I'm not sure about that. The acting in it is superlative. We have three Bergman actresses. um, Harriet Anderson, who was the uh, cute femme fatale from Summer with Monica is the dying sister the agony that she has <laughs> i mean you just really really feel that agony of, of, of dying uh ingrid Tullin, her older sister who um in one of the most shocking scenes i won't describe it but uh where uh, well i guess i could where. Yeah, you uh, where she uh mutilates her genitals in order to keep from having sex with her husband whom she, whom she despises yeah. you Thanks. can see why this is not a film <laughs> uh, that a, a, a bergman non bergman per person should see right away but it was popular and i i just i've never understood yeah, why remember, it was i
2: remember it doing well it did
3: very very well it was a, it was a huge hit and it, it played in cities where bergman had never played before
1: is it, do you see it as sort of building on persona, you know, and that female relationship? Somewhat. Or just completely going left turn? I was, no.
2: was going to say, because I was I wanted to ask you about that, because mm-hmm. I know some people see it as sort of like a, a departure, him going in a different direction, whereas some people say there's a lot of biblical allusions in the movie. Well, there is. No. Oh, absolutely.
3: There's a scene with a... Uh,
2: because to me... I think Persona is the one that really where he starts to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. The movies are more, more symbolic yes. and, and religious Abstract. oriented and then Persona it's yeah. also the way the look of the movie, the way he was filming more, more close-ups, more psychologically
3: oriented. Mm-hmm. Although there are a lot of uh, uh, Cries and Whispers is almost all close-up. Mm. Um, uh, the intensity of it. Um, <laughs> a good student of Carl Dreyer.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah and um, a live woman who never looked better, more beautiful. Uh, she, she's just wonderful in all three, plus the maid who I only saw in one other Bergman movie, Face to Face, Carrie Swan, and she plays the maid who, basically the story is that she's the only one who really loves the dying woman. Yes, right, yeah. And truly loves her, and it's, it's a simple story, but it, it, it's just beautifully told, and The red outs in this movie, it's just, it's so intense, and and the art direction, it it should be seen, but if you haven't seen a Bergman movie, see Wild Strawberries. uh, Seventh Seal. Seventh Seal, uh, Smiles of a Summer Night, Scenes from a Marriage, Fanny and Alexander, see at least one of those films first. Um, Yep, easier. What about
2: The Color Red? Yes. The Color Red, what does it stand for? I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I—it's. I, I'm the, not sure why he chose to do that, but I know that Bergman is not a director who ever did anything or anything travel. by Any, accident. I except, about which it is one of the things I always liked about it. As
3: beautiful as this is, it is only his fourth color
2: movie. Right. I know. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a reason why he worked with Sven like this. Right. He right. Knew what, that man knew what he was doing. Absolutely. Oh my <laughs> I
3: also want to make a, before we get off of Bergman, I want to make a tiny, tiny brief shout out to Liv Ullman as a director. Hmm. She has become a wonderful the director. She's directed only one film that I saw, a film called Faithless, that Bergman wrote about, ooh, 1998. I, I meant to do a little research on it. I have it. Um, but it's it's quite good. And then she directed what I consider the best Tennessee Williams Production I've ever seen, and that was the Australian uh, production that was at the Brooklyn Academy of Music a few years ago with Joel Egerton and Kate Blanchett of *Streetcar Named Desire*. Oh, *Streetcar*. It is the first time I've ever seen *Streetcar Named Desire* on stage where I didn't want to run home and watch the movie.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: This one made you forget about Brenda, which is impossible. Yeah. That's really, and I think she must because, unlike. Bergman is very, very unique in that not only did he direct movies that he wrote, but he also uh, continued directing a lot of theater. And opera. And opera and stuff. And you could could say Mike Nichols and Elia Kazan did that, but they didn't write their films. Elia Kazan wrote a couple of them. The less said about the arrangement. (laughs) Oh, I
1: think I left something in the oven. Wait, let me go.
2: (laughs)
3: Okay, so that's my third favorite film.
2: Well, let's just pause for a moment and say that Bergman's one of the great directors of all yes, time. Yes, there's no doubt about that.
3: He is, and and um, at the time I saw it, I I, I went over and, I and over again. I think he's.
2: I I don't know. I get the feeling he's sort of out of fashion now, which I, don't I understand. I think he's
3: become more so. There was a period I remember when going to the film forum and when he was still alive, and people booing. At, uh, Through a glass, darkly. Really, at the end of it, yeah. And so I thought, but I, I think he's coming back. I love those early '60s films. Yeah, I don't. I didn't understand that either. Uh, and they're making plays of his films. Uh, uh, scenes from Marriage was made by. Um, Oh, the director yeah, who's doing ear. that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, that's John's here. Uh, Toes <laughs> stepped on through a glass darkly was made into a pretty good uh, production uh, with Carrie Mulligan. Um, uh, so, I don't. Th- I don't think Bergman's out of fashion. Um, and these things, maybe he's coming back. These things wax and wane. Yeah. I mean you'll
1: see Wells will come yeah. back. When when they release Other Side of the Wind, there'll be a huge wave of interest in Wells. From right now he's I tried to show Citizen Kane to my students and they hated it. I They're don't get that
3: like, I, I don't get that. I know. I, I mean that's, that that's one another I episode I can understand yes. other Wells that's films. Another, that, that's another episode. That's but way another not episode. Citizen to me, Citizen Kane is just so much fun.
1: Well, we're talking about it next episode. Okay,
3: so. that's true. <laughs> okay. My second movie is as different. From Cries and Whispers, uh, as can be. Um, and this is the first time I've experienced the, the uh, cinema work of Louis Bunuel. Oh, that's
2: the first one you saw of his movies? Yes, oh.
3: absolutely. I was totally unfamiliar with him.
2: Oh.
3: And unlike Cries and Whispers, which is not a good introduction for anybody who hasn't seen a Bergman movie, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie mm. is a wonderful Wonderful way to start with Boonwell. I think, um, I was thinking about it when you were, guys were talking about the rules of the game. It's just, yes, it, it's, yes, it's <laughs> Boonwell at 72 making fun. Well, it's so playful. It is, it is one of the most playful and
2: funny, but very serious at the same time. And,
3: but very serious, but you do laugh. Um, for those people who don't know the story of it, it's basically six Parisians, five Parisians and one from the mythical country of Miranda, <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> who is a, who's a, a diplomat, are trying to have dinner together. And something always stops them.
1: <laughs> it's like exterminating angels, which I, I which, actually like even better.
3: Well, it's funny you mention that because, I don't know if you know this, Stephen Sondheim. Oh yeah,
1: it's his last musical. And uh, and there's an opera coming. David too.
3: Ives are working on a musical of both uh, Exterminating Angel and A Street Charmer. The they're going to combine life. the two. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what they're going to do is it's going to be one act of one and one act of the other. That's what I'd heard. How are they going to do that? I don't. Know. I don't know.
1: But it's got to be better than the last thing he did, Bounce. Oh, but wow, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other. That's topic. that's a. That's not a whole other. Episode. Really
3: digressing. That's a whole other podcast. Yes, but, uh, and hopefully he's going to finish it before he dies because he's about 88. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but The Squee Charm of the Bourgeoisie, which he wrote with um, Jean Claude Carrier. Carrier, yeah, yeah. Who's still alive, bless him, at 87 and still working. He won an honorary Oscar three years ago. He, he writes all the time uh, Bearable Lightness of Being. Right, which is one of his adaptations. Great job of an almost unadaptable yeah novel but anyway six friends trying to get together for dinner and I almost hate to say how what stops them among <laughs> among uh, some of their problems was um, the host forgets what night that they're, they're supposed to have <laughs> the manager of the restaurant where they're supposed to have dinner is dead in the next room <laughs> because laid out um, the military invades their home <laughs> <laughs> to do maneuvers. Beautiful. You know, um, just beautiful. The, uh, I, the, the, say,
2: just, the, I just love the way he just, he yep. just goes off in this direction, yet it, at the same time, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it never feels like, oh, wait a minute, it's, what, what movie is this? You yep, always feel you, like they are in that same movie feel, or whatever. He controls it somehow. And the
3: actors are wonderful. Uh, Fernando Rey, who many people know as the uh, heavy... Uh,
2: French... In, in the French Night.
3: Connection. Place the diplomat from Miranda, we were talking about last year at Marion Band, Delphine Sere, who who is just just charming. Stephanie Ardan, who's best known for Babette's Feast, and just died a few weeks ago, oh, is is right. wonderful. Um, everybody in it is, is just, I, 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 and some of Boone You see, you like Exterminating Angel. I don't like it Love as it. much because I I find. I find some of his earlier work to be just a little bit too heavy.
1: Yeah, well, and um, he's but he's, ever since, you know, Shan mm-hmm. Andalou,
3: he's been, yeah. in
1: 29, he's been going after that same group of right. people with a lot of success, I would add. But assume. he gets lighter.
2: Even even in that, in the beginning, there is humor, a lot of humor in that movie. In Shan Andalou? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And L'Age d'Or, too, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, yeah. his his... I it, remember the very first time I saw that was in college, and the thing is, a lot of people just didn't get it. They just like I don't know what's going I and I was laughing through most of the movie, and people thought I was nuts. It's like it's like don't you get it? It's like it's not supposed to make whole sense or whatever. No, it's, just, it's, it's, just, it's, it's called not surrealism. It's not folks. a surrealist movie the movement and everything, and and, and which allows him to go in these different directions, but street charm of the bourgeoisie as I said it's just it Perfect. always feels in control oh yes. the absolutely Just always keep thinking of that moment when they finally seem to be ready to sit down and have dinner and the curtains go out the right in, in a play that nobody knows the lines
3: to Genius! any please. actor who's seen that movie will will definitely understand
1: no and, and I, I, just, I love how how successfully he attacks his own it's his own class oh, too absolutely. Goes, but also yeah. in the I, I'm a, I'm an early sixties Bunuel guy so Viridiana which came before you know she, you, he goes out of his way mm-hmm. to show that the poor are not saints yeah. that they're not you know he's right. he's basically going after, <laughs> he's after everybody. everybody yeah yes. right. successfully too
3: and uh, anyway sacred cows I do recommend if if you haven't seen. Uh, uh, a Boonwell movie that's the perfect film yeah uh, don't start with Lodge door no <laughs> and if you, ha- uh, if you haven't seen it just please see it because it's just you will laugh and you'll think and it's it's just
2: and he made most of his movies like Bergman are pretty low budget yes No. Oh, yeah
3: people wanted to work with him for very little uh, and 1972 Discreet Charm did win the uh, Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film that's right Was his only Oscar? I think he had never even been nominated before, which is
2: probably
3: not hard to believe. My number one movie didn't see this coming. Is, to my mind, the only truly great movie that's been a popular hit. I mean, I can't think.
2: uh, Well, it's uh, definitely in that category. category. I mean, definitely
3: in that category. What I consider. I mean a popular hit. This is the Godfather. It
1: like hit. top ten box. Office. No, no, yeah, it no. Was it was the number one movie. Number one. Yeah, it it knocked off at, yeah, when it,
3: when The it, Sound it, of Music or Gone with the Wind. I, I forget which was forget, won by yeah, then.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't remember. But uh, but the run that and it had it became the number one, one box movie and it was for time. three years until
3: Jaws. Yeah. yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. The Godfather to me is just a perfect movie. I had read the book, I didn't like the book. I think I read half of the
2: book. The, the the book is Pulp Fiction. The reason that they did the movie was because the book was a huge... Oh, game. absolutely. Yeah. And uh,
3: that was, I think, part of the appeal. How did they let Coppola direct it
2: after what he, you know, he
1: hadn't done much, much of a track record well, so far?
2: they... Uh, Paramount just saw The Godfather as just like, you know... The Brotherhood. Another, another gangster, gangster movie. movie. It was not a... They didn't have no. a high budget for it or whatever. It wasn't. Um... You know, they were against Brando being in it. Who else was... uh, I know Olivier was considered for the
3: role. Who else was... Uh... Rod Steiger? Probably, I've,
2: I've I've read a number of times that like almost every actor in the world wanted to do that part or whatever. Some people are talking about maybe Kirk Douglas at one no, point because of the Brotherhood. Yeah, it's you know that, and they didn't want Brando because But well, Brando it, had a it, terrible had, reputation yeah, for and his and his previous few movies didn't do well, so well. Terrible didn't during so
3: most well. of the '60s, most of the Brando's movies.
2: Yeah, tanked. and there's the famous thing with, you know. Because Coppola kept pushing for Brando. Mario Puzo said he wanted... That's who he had envisioned doing the movie when he was doing the book. And there's that famous so-called audition, audition. film that Coppola shot with with Brando where he he puts something in his hair to make mm-hmm. his hair look darker. And he put... as he said... I, I mean, it's, it's on YouTube where Coppola describes him and everything. It's pretty funny or whatever. And he's just talks about how he... Said, well, it says in the book, you know, he got shot in the throat, and he has a raspy voice, and he changed his voice and started doing it. And one of the producers was looking at us like, "No, no, no, not him, not his." It's like, "Oh my God, it's unbelievable." <laughs> yeah. No,
1: absolutely.
3: <laughs> there, it's two hours forty-seven minutes. There is not one second I would cut from that. Not an ounce of fat. And oddly enough, I, I, not having finished the book, there's nothing I would actually add to it either. I don't feel. Like and there were additional
2: anything. scenes shot, but they they didn't no, use them. No, but
3: I have seen them in the TV version. Uh, in
2: the the, the chronological.
1: Yeah. Where they put the, all three of them together in run see And most of the uh. scenes that
2: I've seen, it's like, yeah, that was a good idea to cut that. <laughs> well, then, like for example, there's a scene where they go to the hospital to see uh, Vito. Don. The no 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 to see the day of the wedding. They go to see the hospital to see Avendando, the, the oh, oh, area yeah. or whatever, when he's dying. And there's a, a bit between uh, the Don and Michael, and he refers to like the medals on his chest and everything, and you, know, you do this for strangers and everything, and then, and then he has a little cause like, you know, mm-hmm. when, you know, what are you gonna do now? It's like, he says, he's going to go back to school. It's like, you know, you come see me and everything. Let's talk. It's like, and why, why do you do like these acts of bravery for strangers? And um, and actually, that was probably it, in the it, book. It's it's in the book, and the thing is, it does sort of explain some things. You don't really need it, but also, you don't need the but also, if you watch it, it's usually on the DVDs. It's not. It, it wasn't very good, mm-hmm. and Pacino just doesn't seem to be quite had the character. It's not really present or whatever. And I can see why they cut it.
3: Who else was thought of for the role of uh, Michael?
2: For a while, they want they the producers were asking maybe will James Conn should do it they had Mm -hmm. him do an audition for it they were pushing for Redford and Ryan O'Neill that's what I thought (laughs) Ryan O'Neill I heard they wanted a star they wanted a name and Coppola said no no he should have the map of Sicily on his face Which he did. That was Pacino. And some of the film, you know, those edition tapes they were seeing of Pacino, they didn't like. They didn't think he was very good. And Pacino said himself, like, they're not going to get me, I don't care, kind of attitude or whatever. You know, and why do they keep asking me to come back? And that was Coppola. He kept sticking him in there. Mm -hmm. Well,
3: it is perfectly cast. Yep. From from Brando, of course, to Pacino, to Khan to Richard Castellello. Oh. Damone. <laughs> Abe pagoda. <laughs> is is in it Johnny? A yeah. pagoda, <laughs> uh, the wonderful um, singer who just died, uh, who played Mama. Al, Mar, Al, Al
2: Martino. Al Martino, who played. No, who played no. Mama Coleo? Oh God, okay. oh. I forget her. I forget. name. Yeah, uh,
3: uh, she just died. Yeah, uh, she's excellent. And and she's not an actress; she's a singer. And, and she, she's in part two. Yes, but every. The, I'll remember her name tomorrow afternoon or something. It's it's just to me it's a perfect movie and I remember when it came out. Everybody I knew went, even people who almost never went to movies, yeah. went to see it. Was
0: this. No,
2: it was, it a a was a popular movie. It was a, it was a phenomenon. It wasn't the release?
1: Wasn't that the first movie to re- be released in like five hundred theaters at once instead it of? It was. It
3: was not. It was not a slow release. Right. It was uh, they I, New York at the time, I think they had it like at ten they, theaters. I think,
2: yeah, that's what they did yeah. for a short time, and, and then it, they, and they were and they were really surprised by the reaction. Oh yeah, they they, they they saw all the people lining up the night before to go when it first opened everything, and then they said like, oh my god, we got it
0: hit. It was it, not that good. And, <laughs> and
3: it was it was in a first run for like months. Yeah, several months, and. Um, Happily, it did wind up winning three Oscars, not for director for a couple of, that was a big... Um, fosse one, right? Fosse yeah. for Cabaret, uh, which was a real upset. And and Cabaret actually got most of the um, uh, technical awards, too.
2: But uh, to me, the Godfather... To me, the Godfather is one of those movies that... that if you've never seen, you just... you sort of enter this world and you just let it wash over you... And it's where all the different aspects of making a movie come together in in such an an excellent fashion. The the cinematography by Gordon Willis, the script. The the Prince of Darkness. The script, the acting, uh, the production design by Dean Tavallaris. The music. The the, the music. The music. music Oh, Nina Roto. The music is great. Cross Um, yourself whenever you say his name. And don't forget about the color orange.
1: (laughs) And, and, and Diane Keaton and John Cazale yeah. Yeah. and oh, uh, John. It, it's just
0: like wow oh, yeah. John and, Cazale and I think Such you know taken
1: in, pa- in pair with part two which you're going to be talking about John it may be the best film the most emblematic film ever made about the American experience about what mm-hmm. it means to be American yeah. which is why
2: and, I love the beginning so much yep that, that beginning that beginning is so great it's so simple it's so great though that the, the sound of the trumpet the, the theme the the black screen mm-hmm. and what's the first line it's like i believe in america
0: mm.
2: and then it starts to go up and you hear era talking about you know, now i wonder
3: if people see it I, as i said i have friends who have, uh, think it's slow i wonder if you see it the first time on video if that's a problem
2: i don't know but it was i think two years ago my nephew, who would have been sixteen at the time, yeah. he watched it for the first time on video, and he loved it. Okay, yeah. well then so, I don't. Get I mean, it. I guess it varies from individual, but I have heard that with a lot of younger people, they think it's slow. They don't. They think it's boring. They don't get it or whatever. No, and Which I don't quite understand. But
1: just amazing that you know, you've got Bergman, Buñuel, and and Coppola you know, turning these out in one year. It is just an incredible... But as
3: I said before, there were other directors. Uh, Peckinpah had two movies that year. Um, Louis Malle. Fellini had Fellini's Roma. But a lot of people liked that film. Um,
2: Yeah, I don't think it's one of Fellini's... Uh,
3: Bob Bob, Bob Rafelson had... um, King of Marvin King Gardens. Marvin oh, a love movie. that
1: movie. movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. What, um, did, what did Bogdanovich do that year? Was that What's, What's Up, up Doc? Doc?
3: Yeah, which, which is, is fun. It's cute. It's one of his better movies. And um, uh, Robert Altman had images. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that was a very very good year for film. We
1: have, you know, and we have to really try at our age. You guys are a little older, a little older than I am, but you know, to avoid saying, ah, that was the good old days when stuff was no. good, and now no. stuff was crap. So I know I have to, have to avoid that all the time. So, um, so with that, and Godfather's a nice natural a uh, bridge to what John's going to talk about because John's going to skip to part two, I assume. And yes, I'm in
2: 1974, so why don't and you start talking about Godfather Part Two now? Got <laughs> okay. <laughs> and,
1: and I don't even think it's the best movie of that year. So I think it's uh, behind a certain uh, Roman Polanski film, but there you go. Mm-hmm.
2: Some people will disagree. I am one of them. Um, No, I think one of the big differences between the two movies is that I I think you can make the argument that the first Godfather is more perfect. It's a tighter film. It's it's also much more closely a linear narrative. Mm Right. Whereas Godfather Two, you're doing the cross cutting. It's about memory. It's about. It's it's a more ambitious ambitious film. Yes. It's a more ambitious film. Um, Also. Right away, because of because of the way the movie was done, because Godfather, there was so much pressure on Coppola all the time. They wanted to fire him. He didn't have much of a budget. And then after it was such a big hit, it was like, oh, we want you to do a sequel, and you can do what you want. So he had money, and he was pretty much left alone. Yeah. And um, I, I think the difference is, I think Part Two is emotionally deeper.
3: I think you could make that argument. Absolutely,
2: yeah, I, yeah absolutely. Yeah, mm. and a lot of that starts with the cross-cutting, the contrast between the rise of the father and then what happens to Michael. And one of the, I think the biggest, starkest contrasts with that, with Vito. I mean, you see what happens to him. and opens when he's a child, and you see what has happened to him. his mother is, is his father is killed by the local mafia chieftain, then his brother is killed because he. Th- knows the you know, she's assuming that he's going to seek revenge the mother goes with young Vito he's only nine to go see him and you know like, please spare my child or whatever and then she gets killed and then he's smuggled you know onto mm-hmm. a ship to America that, that image is on the ship that, yeah. image, oh that image of seeing the Statue of Liberty uh, I will stay with me forever it's absolute, so that's, powerful it's and, the great American story it, and, it really it is Really, yeah it is it's all about about the immigrants, you know, and what happens. And I, you see what has happened to Vito and what it is that's motivating him because when he becomes a young adult, he sees the same thing happening again with Fennucci. And so you, you, you understand why he chooses the path he does. And when Fennucci says to him, It's like, you know, you're, and your family will be ruined, that's what really clicks it off for him to, to really go. Overboard. Right. Whereas Michael, as the movie progresses, becomes consumed and ruined by by vengeance. Right. I mean, he's and which, which leaves him completely alienated at the end. and From his from his
1: family, from Kay and uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah, and, well, the and brother I think, that he and that, and, Fred, yeah. and
2: that that last the last ten minutes or so is absolutely devastating. Um, and when you have that flashback of Michael thinking about December 7th, 1941, there's a family gathering for right. the father's birthday, Yep. and of course Sonny is like, you know, you know... What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? What the hell did you went to college and you got stupid? <laughs> and then Tom starts to talk to him about, like, you know, why didn't you discuss this with us? And, and Michael... Is rather insulted, like you're you're talking at my future with my father. Fredo is the one that reaches, right? Yes. Congratulates him, right. and he goes to shake hands with him, and Sonny slaps it out of the way, which is so perfect because Sonny is an agent of chaos. Yep, right. I mean, if you really want to blame someone in the first movie, you can blame Sonny. Oh, of course, Sonny. <laughs> he shows his hand, right? <laughs> To In the meeting uh, with Salazo and the governor, and that's <laughs> what motivates Salazo to try to yeah, exactly to try to kill the father. Exactly.
3: Mm. Um, also, I, every time I see it, I always forget the fact that Sonny and Pauly. Not Pauly. Uh, is it not Pauly? Who's the son, uh, who marries um,
2: Carlo? Carlo. Carlo, oh. who marries Connie. we're buddies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had forgotten that. Yeah.
3: Because in, in part one, you have no hint about that. Yeah. Carla's a snake. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> but uh, you can almost. Well, you and Tally so. Shire
1: is, is actually not terrible. I mean, unfortunately, oh, anyone she's, remembers she's her for, the, for the Rocky movies,
2: but.
3: Uh, no, no, she's very good in them. She's actually a good actress. I, I'm. I, I,
2: she just. I don't know. Yeah. But it's this. There's, there's also, there's something. In part two, there's something about the scenes when they. Vito's a young man where the the emotional subtext that is so strong in those scenes is that like that little moment where uh he's just carrying groceries down the street, yet it just it's so moving. <laughs> but all he's just all he's doing is walking down the street yeah. carrying groceries. <laughs> I wanna go back for just a moment to Godfather one because of the use of the color orange. Yeah, well and okay. uh it's Dean tavalara said it was just sort of like by chance because he knew so many things were going to be with the cinema time, it was going to be dark and light and everything is mm-hmm. very contrast, and he chose orange and oranges as a way to highlight certain things, but it also becomes a signifier for something bad that's going to happen, yeah, or something evil or you know, uh oh, like yeah, someone's going to shot, kind of thing. Something's up or whatever. In the opening of Godfather One, at the wedding, you see Abe Vigoda tossing an orange in the air. I didn't even think of that. Wow! Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and he di- and Vito dies in when an orange.
2: Vito when well in the but when he when he when goes when he's shot when yes. he's shot he's buying oranges, oranges. and then, yeah. and it's funny because apparently Coppola insisted no 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 I want that overhead shot and seeing the oranges going all over the place. Which is very memorable. Because apparently, they, every once in a while, Gordon Willis and Coppa would fight a little bit. Well, I
1: imagine the studio must have been horrified. They must have been like, "We can't see anything."
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably. I mean, Gordon Willis is brilliant, absolutely and I, brilliant. That is, to
3: to me, an Academy Award history. One of the biggest yeah. oversights. The fact that in the '70s that Gordon Willis, yeah. Godfather, Godfather Two. All the president's men. Yeah. Annie Hall. Interiors. Manhattan. Yeah. Parallax View. And Parallax View. And, he, and, right? and yeah. he didn't get nominated until 1983 with Zelig. Yeah.
0: Which, which, which I love. Which but. I, which love, I love. Oh yes, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> but it was like
3: I remember at the time going, finally. <laughs> and one of and he did, they did give him an honorary Oscar right before he died. But I mean. Yeah. Uh,
2: I I've heard that he was difficult to work with sometimes. Right? Yeah, but, but so is so a well, lot of people. I know.
3: You know, I, know. I, I just... That when I never Luca Brazi
2: goes to go talk to, to Talia at the, mm-hmm. the bar, Oh, I mean, first, first of all, you see that, the window, the etching, and it's fish. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have the, that you see the, the orange sign and the orange wall and everything. It's right, it was like, uh-oh, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> no, when Michael goes to the restaurant, you see that orange neon sign. It's it's blatant. When he kills uh, mm-hmm. Salato and yeah. You know, McCloskey. Yeah. yeah, which to me is maybe my favorite scene in Godfather 1. Because when the first time you see it, and if you're not familiar with the book, right at the very second you think, oh, is, is he going to do it? Is he going to cross over?
3: I love the fact that they don't... Um, show the subtitles. So, show subtitles in that yeah. scene, that right. they're
2: speaking in Sicilian. Yeah. I love that. And in Godfather 2, there's the moment after... Uh, Abendondo's father, who's working for in the grocery store, and Finucci comes at the store and he forces him to give mm-hmm. away Vito's job to Finucci's nephew. And when he goes home, and his wife is cooking dinner, and he, he takes out a pear, and puts it on the table. But then, when you see him later, as the established don of the neighborhood, he's buying oranges. Oranges, mm. yep. It's brilliant. No,
1: every last detail, you know, and the fact that he also did the conversation in that in that scene. Right, because some people bring up. Oh, oh, there, oh well, there. I thought you were going, <laughs> going Chinatown,
0: but all right.
2: No, we'll do Chinatown last. Good conversation. I, th- you know, I don't know about you guys, but it's a movie I've realized that a lot of people have not seen. Oh, it was not. No. A hit at all. Oh, it, well, it was it done on a pretty low budget. And it, it made a small profit. Did it make a profit? It made a profit because it didn't cost that much to make.
3: Because I remember it kind of came and went in Minneapolis. It was there like yeah. two, three weeks. I did yeah. go see it. I liked it. And then when it got nominated for Best Picture, it was like, oh, well, good for them. But I was yeah. I was surprised because oh, it, it didn't uh, really... Also, Make. way ahead
2: of its time. Oh, absolutely. Way ahead of well, its time. Well, and then it's still very appropriate as far mm. as a the theme of... Yeah. Uh, Surveillance uh, and... Let's just, you know, I'll give a little background here or whatever. First of all, uh, Coppola wrote this in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he said that he was influenced by blow-up. That was his inspiration Well, the movie. that makes sense. And also the, the character, Harry Call... Played by Gene Hackman is based on an actual real person who was a surveillance expert. Hmm. Um, but yes, the themes of uh, loss of privacy, it's it's and the alienation. I mean, I mean, the Harry Callahan he has no friends. No, he has no friends. No, uh, and he definitely suffers from guilt. And there's a theme, somewhat, of voyeurism and betrayal, and. Eventually, he becomes justifiably paranoid, corrupt corporate power, and personal responsibility. He's been hired by someone to trail a young couple. Right. And as he's listening to all the different tapes over and over again, he hears, he'd kill us if he had the chance. But as he keeps listening to it over and over and over again, he brings on different meanings and everything, and you find out that on a job he did before there were three people who were killed and he feels responsible for that. So he's trying to prevent that in some way. Robert Duval has a sort of a cameo as the the Mm, director, he's only referred to as the director. Harrison Ford is his contact right this right. a, a, a is pre
3: a great Harrison Ford
0: oh yeah, yeah it's before Star Wars yeah. so. well
1: but he was he had been in graffiti
0: in American right? graffiti but he yeah. wasn't
2: really that Yeah. famous yet yeah. Bob Felfa. Yeah. yeah but uh, Bill Butler did the cinematography which is excellent Walter Merch sound headed the editing and the yeah. sound design yeah. we have to talk about Walter Merch for a moment because I, just an extraordinary just what he's done with Force what he did with Touch of Evil Yeah, yeah. And he did, he was involved with Apocalypse Now, too.
0: hmm
1: No, and, you know, that's that's always a danger we get into, you know, with anything like this, is that we always tend to focus on the directors. And, you know, by extension, we don't, we were talking about editors before, we don't necessarily give enough credit to everyone else who makes these things happen. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: And then the, the score is beautiful, even though it's very simple. It's yep. just the piano. It's who did the music? David Shire. David, David Shire. Yeah. Her, her... Uh, Talia's husband. Yeah, her husband. Yeah. Yeah, it's an he really sport. keeps it
3: in the family, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he likes yes, to do that. until it got we to like, Sophia in Godfather like Three, it that. was fine. Yeah, yeah but, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but there's a that film is start is undergoing a renaissance too. It's Godfather it, it, Three, absolutely. I it, don't it, it, think
2: it's, it's good as good bad movie. as everybody. It's said. a good movie. It's not as good as there's, the first. Just this one. I mean, if you're if you want to really criticize it a lot, you you have to. Except the fact that the character of Michael has changed. Yes. It's not, it's not the same character anymore. No. Yeah. And it kind of makes you think there should be a Godfather 2 and a half. How did he get from, from, from the ending? Because yeah. at the ending of Godfather 2, that last shot of him is years later. Mm-hmm. He's, oh, yeah. His hair is gray. His face is lined. He's, and he's, he's alone just sitting there doing who knows what. Mm. And actually, you have to assume he's alone in that house at that point. And
3: actually, in Godfather Three, I get a kind of a kick out of Talia Shire. Oh yeah, I think she
2: is so much Connie, fun in that Connie movie. Connie rules. Yeah. Yes, she yeah. does. No, they should fear you.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so the, what we have to do we have to do an episode on sequels because you know the one you know we it's always film people always talk about is you know is there a sequel that's better than the original and,
2: and sometimes Godfather Godfather is.
1: might yeah. might qualify but that's another other one episode. of my friends
3: who, who says that the Godfather is slow loves the Godfather too we've never really talked about it it's like. Well, okay, and as John so, says, it's a
1: much more ambitious film in terms of the structure, in terms, of, I mean, yeah. it's, and it's Sergio Leone tried to copy it with Once Upon a Time in America, which was, you know, also jumping back yes, and forth in strong, time, yeah. and has its moments, D- but doesn't quite the get there. Depending on the version you see. Well, yeah, the, his original.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. poor Sergio. Yeah. Well, with the original version is so long.
3: It so is, but eight. I still, I prefer the original.
2: Oh, no, the, no, no. of course. Yeah, no, the American version of what? They cut, like, what, an hour and a half? Yeah.
1: Uh-huh, and put it in chronological order. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, not good. Bless them.
1: <laughs> and so to Mr. Gitz. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's just mention the cast. though. Oh yeah, sorry about Potter that. Because, I jump it. Uh, I leap it. Because everyone is excellent. Yeah. Uh, oh god. Well, Gene, Gene Hackman. I've told. We've had. Oh,
3: conversation. I'm sorry. The conversation. Yes yes, yes. yes. Oh, you want to talk about Michael Gasso in the Godfather 2 Is well, one the of thing my. What I find
2: so funny is that most of the reviews that came out though praised him. Oh, I know. He got a lot. A lot of people criticized Part Two when it first came mm-hmm. out. But praised him. Yeah. Talked we, about how brilliant he, he got was. an Oscar
3: nomination I think, for it. I think
2: he's okay in it. He
3: takes me out of the movie a little bit. What do you guys think of Strasper? I like Strasper. I like
1: Strasper. In, in that, that yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I ever liked him in anything else. But I really Great. liked him in Godfather 2. So he seemed to be... Do that... Yep.
2: Uh, and I think... And I do think that in... I, obviously De Niro is, is excellent oh but I gosh. think I think Pacino's performance in Godfather 2 is one of the great film performances of all time yeah I can't argue sold I, I can't argue um, I mean he becomes mm-hmm. a monster he's like as I said he's consumed by vengeance and also he sees himself as a martyr which is sort of his falling or whatever, because he has he didn't see himself doing this. Where, whereas Vito, you can really understand why he ended up choosing the path he did. Right. But right. it's totally
1: organic. It's believable in every... Oh, yeah. That transition oh, yes. is believable in every oh, yes. moment.
3: And, Most definitely. And once again, John Cassell. Yeah. I oh,
2: am. Yeah. Who's excellent in the conversation. Oh, God, yeah. Yep. And Alan Garfield. Right. And Harrison Ford is is good in his And even... What's her name? Frederick Forrest and Cindy Williams. Cindy Williams. Cindy Williams. Like, I always think
3: of Laverne <laughs> or Shirley. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. But yeah.
2: And again, and then at the end, again we have a theme of alienation. At the end of the conversation, mm-hmm. he's ripped apart his apartment because he finds that he's he's been the victim of surveillance. Right. I mean, is this just this very creepy phone call saying we'll be listening to you? I'm ashamed to say
3: I have not seen it since it came out. It yeah. never, uh, uh yeah. and he's, almost he's, never shows anywhere, not even I
2: on Turner. I know. It I don't know why Turner doesn't anywhere, show. I, I don't cause know. Because it's
3: not that, you know, graphic of a film or anything. No.
2: Nope. no. No, there's not. There's this one little I, I, scene in there, whatever, where we see red. That's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. No, I'd like to. S-
3: yeah. Do you have it? Yes, I did. I
1: Maybe
2: I'll... Yes. <laughs> Please lend it to me. Onset
1: negotiation. That's what makes this work, people.
2: Before we go to Chinatown, let's just mention a few of the other movies that came out that year in 1974. Oh, yeah. First of all, Brooks had two of his yeah. best three movies. Yes. Oh, can my God, mean, yeah. Yes. Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Yes, so yes. So I suggest that if you're going to watch... Godfather Part Two and The Conversation in Chinatown. You make sure either you watch the two Mel Brooks movies afterwards or maybe in between the their three movies. Sort of a palette cleaner, yes, yes. exactly. Uh, Lenny came out that year, yes. which never shows. Never okay. shows, yeah. no. good movie. Yep. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Altman had two movies come out, California Split, Split. And Thieves Like Us. Thieves li-
3: that was just on the other
2: night, uh, um, Turner. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Gambler, which you've, you've never seen. Carol Rice, yeah, movie. with James Caan. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Uh, very good movie. Lacombe Lucienne. Yeah. Oh, devastating. That's a, that's a Murder song. in the Orient Express, for Which fun. is on tonight. Which midnight. I kind of love. Oh, it is on tonight. Never, At midnight,
3: yeah. I think it's, it's Andy Very Colt.
2: controversial documentary, Hearts and Minds. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. About Vietnam, sure. Yeah. Um, Wells had F for Fake. Mm. Was it that, that year? Yeah. Oh. Yes, it was. Parallax View. So it was a good year. I also and want to throw in one of my and favorite... And Scenes of a Marriage came out, right. the movie version, but I suggest to everybody out there listening, if you have access to it, to watch the original TV version, which is really much better. He condensed the original TV version into, into a film that was released in 1974. You didn't mention Amicord. 73? Amarcord or is... You consider very, that 73? I am very confused about Amarcord because I think it was nominated for the Oscars for 75. Five, yeah. but
3: it won the New York Film Critics Award of 1974. It's, it's really same thing, confusing. It's the same thing that happened but with yes, Prize and Whiskers. Amarcord
2: is a wonderful film. Yeah. Movie. Yes. Yeah, that's really, I
1: think, his, his last, last great really one, I think. Yeah. Absolutely, Mike. Yeah. Film. Yeah.
2: So let's go on to Chinatown. Oh, oh,
3: my. I want to make one more... Sure. Um, uh, Honorable, honorable mention, Robert Aldrich's The Longest Yard, which is a, a guilty pleasure. I know pleasure. you like that movie
2: well, a lot. A, I don't care. I it think much.
3: it is so much fun, and I know people who hate football who like that movie. Burt Reynolds' performance, I you think could I it's argue.
2: kind of an uneasy mix of veering from, say, to, to almost serious drama to slapstick
0: or Yeah, I, just I consider think it a, it a comedy. I don't really?
3: think it works. Yeah. I didn't see the remake. Well, I uh,
1: can't believe you guys didn't mention The Redford Great Gatsby. My God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which Coppola tried to save, doing I think a rewrite on the. He was listed was, as a screenwriter. Yeah, actually, yeah. If I would have sued to get off, <laughs> yeah, seriously.
1: That, Alan Smith feed that, apart
3: baby. Apart from Sam Waterston, that is one of the worst <laughs> movies. Yes,
2: it's yeah, horrifyingly uh, bad. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, Mia Farrow should like burn all the prints in that.
3: I'm surprised she hasn't. <laughs> Talk about no chemistry Oy. between the
2: leads. So let's go on to Chinatown. Chinatown, China China China. oh let, let me just start by, directed by Roman Polanski, a screenplay by Robert Town, <laughs> cinematography by John A. Alonzo, music by Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> and the music we, uh, we all know is great in it and it and was, was done written, in a week.
3: Yeah, because Polanski didn't like the original yeah. score. Yep.
2: Yeah. Okay, I want to ask something. Do you guys see Chinatown as sort of an homage to film noir? I do not. No, no. Some people see it that way. I don't see it that Absolutely way. Absolutely
1: not. No, I mean, I see nothing less than a, than the most eloquent condemnation of our decaying institutions in the year of Watergate, 1974. Well, that, but I also mean,
2: it is, it is. I will give you a little background. It is based on, loosely based on a real incident. Uh, about Alison the water? It's yep. based on William Mulholland. He right. was a civil engineer who's responsible for building the infrastructure to provide a water supply it allowed Los Angeles to become run into Los a Angeles big City, or whatever, but that was years before mm-hmm. the movie takes place. He changes quite a bit, but he was involved with um, building a dam that the St. Francis Dam failed 12 hours after he and the assistant had given a safety inspection. and Over <laughs> 400 people died. That sounds about right. So, yeah. Which brings us to one of the major themes in Chinatown, which is corruption. Oh, God. And those very few scenes that,
1: Michael, you say this all the time, that John Huston is in. Ooh. It is among the most terrifying. I mean, it's all your worst. And conversation Just gets us there, too. the girl. I mean, right. <laughs> Mr. Gets, is it. Um... It just that behind everything you see are these forces lurking that you just absolutely yep. have no idea that are yes. running everything.
2: Especially and, the Jack Nicholson character. Yeah. Just, I mean, the entire movie he keeps he gets to a point and learns something else. Oh, it's not quite what I thought. Right. And then he learns something else. Oh, it's not quite what I thought. And then he learns something else. Oh, it's not quite what I thought. And of course, we brings finally brings him to the you know the famous line. She's your sister. Oh she, my you know, she's your child. What uh, your daughter, what My sister and my daughter. Yeah. And
3: I I still can't believe that Polanski really had this in his mind, but at one point he had wanted Jane Fonda oh, Lord. to play because he was not Oh, everyone hated Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway, really. including yeah. him. But, he, but she's excellent in it. She is. I think it's her best performance. I think I it's Nicholson's
2: too. best performance. Agreed. I would ag- I would agree with that, yeah.
3: Um yep. but um what I think it was in the back of his mind was to have Henry Fonda play Nicholas mm-hmm. cross That yeah. sounds typically Polanski.
2: Which would have I been, can see. I can see Henry Fonda. Playing, possibly playing that part, but not the two. and the That's no, a sick joke. It would have been
3: a too sick of joke, and it would have taken everybody out of the film. Yeah, it would have been stupid. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Instead, we got on Golden Pond, which was almost I, a sick joke. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah my let's, knight let's, in let's, shining armor. <laughs> sorry I had to <laughs> that <laughs> at least it didn't be Chariots of Fire for the Oscar. so there uh, you go <laughs> another
3: winner
2: I just want to be your friend <laughs> oh my god
3: and oddly enough the play is actually kind of funny but they sucked out all the humor from in that
2: movie no, we digress we digress from one extreme to the other yes <laughs> we must mention the cast of Chinatown oh wow Jack Nicholson Faye Dunaway John Huston John Hillerman yep John yes, Hillerman's excellent in it creepy uh, Burt well, Young yeah Bert Young. Diane Young. although Latt. I thought I'm crazy about Burt Young in the very beginning I think he does a little too much in the very really? beginning of the movie the opening scene And yeah. how about the, yeah, the plan- rest of the movie is excellent see yes. I,
3: I was totally unfamiliar with Burt Young I, I mean he didn't really become famous until Rocky yeah
2: yeah that's yeah, true and it's then true. you have Polanski's
1: little golden shining yes. moment, Kitty Cat. kitty cat. Nosey fellow, huh, Kitty Cat?
2: <laughs> you know what happens to nosy fellas? Oh my God, brutal! And I mean, John Huston is boy. I mean, evil personified. But the character is so real. Yes, absolutely.
3: He, and he doesn't twirl his mustache. No, not at all. Or anything not like at that. All. And I mean as an actor i generally found john huston to be a great director i usually found his acting kind of yeah. hammy yeah. not in this not not in this. Nope. not in this it's nope. the one t- he's actually pretty good in the cardinal no and yeah. and um
1: you know we've we've argued before about there'll be blood and you know you've, oh. you've said that you know Houston is able to do in those three or four short scenes what it takes Day-Lewis three hours to do in There Will Be Blood. But, you know, it's the same kind of character. And mm-hmm. as much as I love There Will Be Blood, I really can't argue with you because the less of him, the more terrifying he is. Yes. And at the end, and I'm sure you're going to talk about the ending, at the end when he when he walks away with, with Catherine, it's, it's just it's just devastating let's
2: let's talk a little bit about some of the themes that are because I mean one of the major themes is that we've already talked about is corruption and dishonesty in government and authority figures yep yeah I mean Noah Cross the John Huston character is, is evil we're not really sure I mean the first time you don't really quite understand what's going on or whatever I mean you maybe have a taste that something's not quite right with him. But, but not you don't, that. You don't know. You, you have know. no idea why he wants to but find also, the girl. I mean, the John Hillerman character is an accomplice to murder. Sure. Yep. But he's a good family man. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Lou Escobar, who mm. who is the police Cut. lieutenant yeah. at the end of the movie, you're not quite sure about him. He may be on the take. part of it on the take. He may not be. He may not be, but you're... He your wants point. him to drop it. Yeah. That's right. He knows who Noah Cross is. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm. Definitely. And poor Jake is, I mean, he gets out of there because he doesn't want to be involved with that. He wants to try to help people. He's, in a way, he's sort of a schnook. He's but trying to do the right thing. He's already been a victim of corruption. Does he have any friends? I don't think so.
1: No. Was he a victim of corruption, or did did he make a mistake in the in the in the original? I think it's the Iris case. We don't know for
2: sure. I think it's a little above. There's yeah. resentment. Yeah, definitely oh, resentment. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it, I forget. Does he get kicked
2: off the force, or he leaves the force because of that? We don't know. You don't know for sure. I think he leaves the force because of that. I mean, it's all very vague. He says, "I tried to help someone." Right. Um, and, men- she, and she died because I tried to help Is it mentioned
3: in that unfortunate
2: sequin- sequel? The Two Jakes. I don't remember. No,
1: I, don't, I no, blocked you know, that out you know. of my memory as soon as I could. Everybody yeah. has.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, people who try to do the right thing are punished. Polanski. Yeah.
1: That is the Polanski and that's, theme. And
2: that's another thing is the, con- the common man is unable to fight this corruption, no matter how hard they try. In Polanski, the good guys always lose. I mean, we've well, we had that scene when they go to the orange groves. He's trying to find what's, you And you learn that, that's, that the water's being diverted from them. And they, these guys, are they're losing their crops, their farms. They, they're going to lose everything because they're diverting the water. Yep. Which goes back to Noah Cross because what he wants is the future. The future, Mr. Gitt. Mr. Gid. Future. He wants more.
3: How much it, money do you have? I don't know. How
2: much do you want? Yeah, cool. it's funny. No, there's, some, there's great. It's a it's a great screenplay. Yeah, it really. Yeah, is well, a great screenplay.
1: Talon had just done Last Detail and right. he did Shampoo. I mean, that was an
2: incredible. Run and he for was him. a script doctor too. Yeah. And oh he, yeah. He wrote he wrote a scene for The Godfather. too. the scene. Which one? The scene between Michael and his father and The Godfather, when he when he says like you know what's bothering you, you know I can handle it or whatever, and he and he tells him I never wanted this for you. Um. And, mm. he's, and he starts to go, I saw, you know, That's you could have been, you know, Senator Corley Lone, Governor Corley Lone. Just wasn't enough time, Michael. It's yeah. such a marvelous scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Should we talk about the
1: ending? <laughs> of Chinatown? Uh, absolutely, because it, it goes from being a town ending
2: into a Polanski ending. That's right, right. because it wasn't the original ending, and town now says that yes. he... That he agrees that Polanski was right. He made the Finally. right decision. He was right. Yeah. Um,
3: but yet yeah, for years, he wouldn't even speak to him, apparently. Thomas
2: mad Yeah. Yeah.
3: We should mention, the original ending uh, had... Um, um, I can't remember. It was much more complicated.
2: Yeah. Uh, Had and been away, like getting away. Right, Evelyn, yeah, but Evelyn lives and yeah, but then having her die later or yeah. something. Yeah, I, it was it was very complicated. It's it it's It would have
3: added at least another twenty minutes. The well, that was. I think time. that was another
2: reason mm-hmm. why Polanski decided to do what he did or whatever. But but it was the right choice. It was the right choice. It's a devastating oh ending. Oh
1: god! When he just John Houston after he's been shot in the arm, just walking away with his. With Catherine,
2: and yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and then you. And what's the first thought you have? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. For those who haven't seen it, we won't tell you. <laughs> and but and, also, there's that, and there's that moment, you, with Escobar, and you think, oh, so it was right she, as Lou as as uh, Lou now on the take with Noah Cross, also or whatever. Because then he keeps saying, "Get him out of here. Get get out of here. Get your boss out of here."
1: and that's i mean a not f- not famous last line
2: yeah, and not for nothing is you know
1: the image of the Godfather, the the uh, the logo is the puppet master, you know, yeah. from the shadow. I mean, that's yeah. your all of your film. Yeah. Not so much the Bergman and the Buñuel, which are much more out there, but the uh, the American ones are all about this, you know, these forces operating behind the shadows, right. controlling your life in ways you couldn't possibly hope to understand, right. and pray to God yeah. that you never find out. Yeah. And again, this happening right around the time of Watergate, and and yeah. it's it's. It's perfect. It's so for, so of the moment.
2: Yes, very much so.
1: And that last line in Chinatown becomes a a a a, 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 a verbal correlative for all that we can't yes. understand, yeah. all that is beyond that we'll never yeah. be able to penetrate. It's Chinatown, Jake.
3: And it's funny considering what a downer that film is, and it came out the same summer as The Parallax View. Yeah. Yep. Chinatown was a hit. Parallax View was
2: not. Yeah. It was, it was, I don't know if it was a hit for like a long time now. I mean, it did very well. It did well when it first came out. Yeah. I don't know if it was. An, I, I'll have to look that up. I'm not sure if it was an extended hit or whatever. Well, Parallax View is like the ultimate paranoia movie. Yeah. Oh, it really is. It's a good movie. but It's, it's a good movie. It's but incredibly paranoid. Though. I have to
3: be honest, I can, I've only watched it once.
2: <laughs> I, I can understand why. I can understand it's why. It's
3: just like...
1: All right, yeah. so yeah. so there it is, everybody. As, we, as I
2: said, oh. <laughs> you got to watch Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein Please. You
1: after watched all
2: his movies.
3: <laughs> in between, completely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, I told you guys my new favorite line in Blazing Saddles is at the end in the uh, when in the commissary when they crash through into the commissary and the guy dressed up as Hitler and someone says, "Hey Jerry, how you doing?" and the Hitler guy says, "Ah, they lose me after the bunker scene." <laughs> It's just little lines like it's that, just,
3: and <laughs> it has one of, the, to me, one of the greatest female comedian performances ever. In oh, yeah. It, oh yeah, Madeline Kahn is Lilibet. Oh yeah, great. You know, I'm she's
1: tired, great. tired of <laughs> playing the game. <laughs> and there it is. So, in su- in a long summation, so I go with 1960 as sort of dividing line between between modernism and postmodernism in film um and michael goes with 1972 and john with 1974 which is sort of of a piece i mean just an incredible it, it sort of makes sense because those ideas of antonioni of the french new waivers, of those guys you know cross the ocean come back and influence the coppola's the scorsese's the diplomas and they broke, and they broke
2: ground for them because in the starting in the well, really early 70s when directors were given more that control over glorious, what glorious,
1: very brief period before yes. Michael Ovitz and the money people took over again he in the is, late 70s. Oh, you know, and then
2: Jaws came out and everything was supposed to be a blockbuster in one weekend.
3: A good indication of that was a documentary I recently saw called Hal, which is about Hal Ashby. Oh, brilliant. And uh, they talked about his seven films of the uh, 70s and then... His downfall. Well, that was
1: a little cocaine fueled, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah,
3: no. I, according to the film, it was more interference um, with the distributors. I mean, they just kept taking
2: away the films from him. He did have a drug problem. He always smoked. I'm weed. not sure that that was the main reason for his mm-hmm. downfall. I have I have read before that he sometimes would just take too long to do things. Yeah perfectionism but in 70- but he was never interfered with in the 70s and made yeah. one great
1: film after another yeah so and, and you know we have a, a group of directors here who are trying to you know both pay homage to what came before um, and also completely shatter it and create something brand new which everyone's here succeeded in doing so uh, and that is our favorite year um for the next episode we're gonna lighten it up a little bit yes we are and we're gonna have a knockdown drag-out brawl about uh, our favorite openings of movies and here's a little preview I'm going with La La Land and John and Michael are not gonna be happy about it so and then a preview preview um November um Set Your Clock, Set Your Alarms, November 2nd, The Other Side of the Wind, the first, quote-unquote, new Orson Welles film, comes out, you know, first new ones since Zephyr Fake, I would guess, right? Uh,
0: I
2: think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: so we're talking 45 years, and mm-hmm. we will... want If
2: you want to count the restoration of some of the... Yeah, I don't know. Othello and... Touch of Evil,
1: and, and and we will be, we will focus our November episode on Orson Welles, who we've be, kind of barely touched on, but we will. Um, so, uh, Vintage Sand is, as ever, a five nines and a four production, uh, produced by the legendary Melissa Cabot. Thank you to Mama Sue for the space, and our huge announcement, the website is up, people. It's not just a mirage www.vintagesandalloneword.com. Stop by, make some suggestions for topics for us, give us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you have to say, and we'll see you next time for great movie openings.